we're like three peas on a pod. No, we're not. <laughs> we're not three peas on a pod. Yes, we are. Th- we we're th- we're three Minnesota plant growers that are just growing plants in Minnesota. Hi, I'm Kaylin. Welcome to Rough Around the Hedges podcast. And I'm Adam. And I'm Christine. And this week we're discussing Adam's trip to Peru. Adam, you went to Peru? I did. I spent six weeks in Peru and I spent three weeks in the jungle out of that six weeks. Amazon. Like completely isolated from the world. Pretty much. After one week there, I did go into town and I found reception in town. But for like the first full week, I was completely separated from the world and then for the second two weeks, straight, nothing, no contact, just me with my solar panel in the Amazon rainforest. Yeah, pretty dope. What brought this on? Like, what made you decide, I want to go spend six weeks in Peru? Well, actually, it was like, I want to say kind of advocacy. Like, it came from like, me just not wanting to let my life go by and let the rainforest get destroyed and then not have a chance to see it and have it be gone. You know what I mean? It hit me. I even have like, I I journal. I have like a journal entry from 2021 where I'm like, I need to go to the Amazon, something I need to do. So start it there. I can attest to visiting a natural wonder and having it be just shitty as fuck. I went to the Great Barrier Reef. And it wasn't like, you know, a life goal, but I was in Australia and I was like, I'm going to the reef. Went snorkeling, 80% of it's dead. Yeah. It was really sad to see. And like my ex had a saltwater fish tank. So like, I know how cool it can be. And to see it just be like sad and dead was just so depressing. So I get why you wanted to check out the rainforest before they cut it all down and make it into paper. Yeah. And honestly, we spent like one of the, on the final week I was there, we spent an afternoon like walking outside of the sanctuary where we were staying and some of the neighbors are just clear cutting and it was just a wide open scar and it kind of was a good contrast because at the panthera sanctuary which i probably should have started i should have prefaced this whole conversation with where i was precisely um but it's like a fully conserved patch of like unadulterated jungle with just some paths and a few clearings cut for dwellings and living basically. Um, But I didn't really realize how pristine it was until we took that trip outside of the sanctuary and saw like just these giant trees ripped up by the roots, that kind of thing. So that kind of put everything into perspective um, at that point. But yeah. Can you describe what you saw in detail in in the conservation sanctuary or like outside of the clear cutting and like kind of yeah opposites there absolutely i mean it was like they put everything that we were going to do each day on the on a whiteboard and they were just like talk to the neighbors new neighbors and i was like because they they spoke a little bit of english two peruvian guys that like ran the whole uh operation but they put it on the whiteboard and I was like, okay, what does that even mean? Like, I don't even speak Spanish. Why am I going to talk with the neighbors? But we like went out, we walked through the trails and it's like mud up to the, you know, almost up to the top of the rubber boots, but hopefully you don't have to 
get any mud in your in your boots. That was kind of the goal. Um, but going out out of the conservation sanctuary, we just walk on these beautiful trails from like secondary forest into primary forest, which is like the oldest, biggest trees, and then out onto this sort of wider path. And then as soon as we got out there, it was like, and you could see giant, you could see further than you ever could inside the rainforest, basically. All the trees were cut down except for one type that's like legally protected in that zone. And as we were getting closer to the neighbor's property, I could tell that the, the Aldo and Cristobal, the two Peruvians, were kind of apprehensive. Like they didn't really want to. Like they were doing something because they felt they should do it, but they didn't really look forward to going to talk to the new neighbors. And we could hear the chainsaw going as we were getting closer. And they do this crazy thing in Peru where you never like walk right up to someone's door and knock. You just like stand at the in the driveway, just like waiting until they see you or or you yell. And I noticed this in the first three weeks when I was in the Andes Mountains. There would, I would, people would just walk up and just start yelling and I'd be like working in the orchard and be like, do, do you need something? Like, do you want me to go get the people that live here? I can like help you. So we stood there for like 20 minutes and finally it started to like pour like the sky was falling. The rain was just like thundering down and the people like came running. Obviously they can't cut wood in pouring rain and they like saw us and they gestured us to come over and we sat under their little lean to and Aldo basically he was the older one and he talked to these new neighbors and basically you just started describing like what we do at the sanctuary you know we monitor insect populations we monitor mammal populations bird populations and we you know try to conserve the trees uh try to conserve the in, you know, threatened species of plants. And basically just please don't kill the snakes. Please don't shoot the leopards if you see them. And don't worry if you see like the gringos walking around because they're volunteers and they're like, what's funding this whole thing. Um, so I felt like I was kind of just there as like, here's what the volunteers look like. And I was like with my little, you know, bucket hat and like my rain boots I felt like a gringo, but I felt like I was also playing an important role in that. Um, but yeah, it was rough. It was like kind of heart wrenching to see this huge swath that they just cut down and then they farm cacao or plantains or just different types of palm for palm oil. And then once it's kind of like barren, they just leave without any kind of reforestation effort or anything. So that was kind of the story of that, that afternoon and seeing, and that was the only time we really left the sanctuary, um, other than in a boat. What happens when they leave? Do they sell the land off to someone else who buys it and comes in? Sometimes they just abandon it. And, and that was how the sanctuary, I think, originally got started. Panthera Sanctuary was started when, uh, I think it was some indigenous landowners just were going to just leave. Um, but they knew as soon as they, uh, basically started by a French herpetologist, I want to say someone who studies snakes and reptiles and amphibians. But anyways, he, he just knew that once they left, it would be taken over by poachers and 
the place would be basically stripped for everything that it was that of value that was inside of it. So he like negotiated a deal with the indigenous, the previous owners where that, so that he could buy it and like designate it as an official conservation area. Um, but normally when people leave, it's like they just abandoned. It seemed like they just abandoned the land and it opens it up for poachers and, you know, all kinds of other people that are just looking for profit. Yeah. So to back up a little bit, so you decided two years ago, you want to see the rainforest, but where happens? Did you know that this program existed yet? That's a really good question. I had no idea. I had no idea how I was going to get there or what was going to happen. But I was like, I knew I was going to go. It was like, Something just came over me. I was like, I'm going to go there. I don't even know when. And it was still like kind of in the pandemic zone. And I was worried about traveling, but I was just like, I know I'm going to go. And it wasn't until like, I want to say October, November, even December, like 2022. Oh. That I was like selecting the individual program. Because Kaylin, you were even... I. Yeah, you sent me different programs that you were thinking of. You sent me the links, and I was like, ah, this one looks sus. Yeah. So did you just, like, hop onto Google and put how to volunteer on the rainforest, or...? Basically, I knew that I wanted to do rainforest conservation, and I was looking at programs everywhere. They have them in... You can go to, like, Madagascar. There's all these different organizations that host them, um... So I started reading and looking at reviews and the more I read, the like more nervous I got. Cause I was like, okay, I'm going to pay money and then I'm going to go there and work. <laughs> like, is that what I get to pay to go work? But it turned out to be worth it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely worth it. But the answer is no, I didn't know. I knew I wanted to go see the Amazon, but I didn't have a clue how I was going to get there. And I kind of just, closed my eyes and leapt a little bit with this one program that seemed legit and it paid off. Right. I think it worked out. Nice. Yeah. And it wasn't even like I went through like the main organization, which was an international one called international volunteer HQ. And then they shuttled me to like a Peruvian nonprofit volunteer organization called Maximo Nivel. And then they shuttled me over to Panthera sanctuary, which is its own private you know, entity in itself. So I was kind of like being shuttled from one place to the next. Going down the food chain, kind of? Yeah, kind of. Now, how did you get there? Because I, you had told me, you're like, I have to go fly somewhere and get on a bus and go 10 hours. And <laughs> I was like, what? So how, how did you get from where you were in Cusco to the sanctuary? Yeah, it was insane actually I, I don't i mean it's kind of a story just to get there but um basically it was an overnight bus from cusco so we left on monday a monday night at like 9 p.m from a crazy bus like the bus station in cusco is just as soon as you walk in there are people trying to sell you tickets to like every single place you can imagine on a bus and it's just in- insanely overwhelming and I was carrying my like entire six weeks worth of luggage on my back in a big 45 big... liter backpack, oh, okay. pretty heavy. And I was with two other volunteers that were heading there at the same time as me. 
We got on our bus. I refused to let go of my backpack. I was like, no, you're not taking it. It's got everything I need for the jungle. You can't have it. You can't put it on the underneath compartment. I was like, nope. So starts out okay. Get Got a good seat kind of near the front of the bus. It was a double-decker bus. We start, like, driving out of Cusco. It's getting darker. We start doing switchbacks up into the mountains. Those are not fun. And the bus driver was... Like ripping, ripping up those switch switchbacks in a double decker bus, and like I had my heavy backpack between my legs, and it was just like trying to launch, like it was just like I was like rolling back and forth between each switchback. Did you get any sleep on that overnight I, bus? I took a Dramamine after I started feeling sick, which right. I don't think is the way you're supposed to do that. But I started. I was almost asleep. I was listening to an audiobook, and I think. Almost all the other passengers were sleeping because I could hear snoring. And I heard like a loud like clunk. Mm. And I was immediately like, shit. Um, and then I could hear the bus driver like pressing on the accelerator. But the bus was like rolling backwards. Oh, my God. It was just rolling. And I was like, oh, my God, why are we rolling backwards? Just please stop. Just hit the brake, hit the brake. Eventually, he like reverses in onto the side of the road and just shuts off the engine the air conditioning all the air goes off and it immediately starts to get like real stuffy in the bus and you can see the bus driver like outside with a flashlight uh he eventually came in asked if anybody had phone service and then some German guy sitting next to me like randomly had phone service in the mountains outside of Cusco. Mm. So they called for another bus and we sat there from about midnight to 4 a.m. waiting for the second bus to come from Cusco. When it finally arrived, I was like, everyone was dead. I was just just dead. Everyone was dead? (laughs) (laughs) Everyone was dead tired. Uh, I can't say that. I can't say that. It's what our happened podcast. in those four hours? There's our promo. Yeah. <laughs> and podcast is over now. Um, Teaser trailer. Yeah. No, it's, anyways, I like got onto the new bus very gratefully, finally fell asleep, woke up in the morning, realized I left all my snacks and water on the previous bus under the seat, which was rough because we got down, back down. We were up at like 15,000 feet. And then, like, back down to, like, sea level, basically, in the Amazon basin. It was a bus from Cusco to Puerto Maldonado. Uh, Yeah, so it was, like, it's supposed to be, like, a 12-hour bus ride, but for us, it was closer to, like, 16 hours. Wait, did you ever find out what happened? I have no idea. The bus broke down. That's what happened. I was, like, waiting for, like, you actually rolled off the cliff or, like, you hit something like you ran over an ox or something like <laughs> what happened you ran over an ox right i felt like something just fell off the bottom of the bus and we, we yeah. just yeah, so you just, just like lost the transmission, transmission yeah. just, just held on with hopes and dream <laughs> so we made it to puerto maldonado which is like it felt tropical it felt like a it kind of felt like a oceanside vibe like the culture and the vibe was just like coastal almost Amen. salt life yeah yeah but it but Surf's it's up. the river is mat was massive it was the madre de dios river mother of god thanks you're welcome <laughs> uh, anyways huge 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 river and i think that's why it was just a large enough river for it to feel coastal it just felt tropical and there were palm trees everywhere and it was like 95 and really humid and full sun um, and basically we met Aldo in town and got on a boat after that. So I'm, I'm dead tired and I got onto a 
tiny wooden boat. We went down to the marina, got onto this like wobbly wooden boat with this like tiny little engine. How many people fit on the boat? Well, at that max, he was saying like 16 people could fit on the boat. And we were like, yeah, I'm really glad it's not 16 people on this boat right now. It's three of us volunteers and then Aldo. So four of us. And it was like an hour or so on a, on the boat and it was downstream toward the Bolivian border. So we were like two kilometers from the Bolivian border at the sanctuary. So we kind of got there in the boat and got out very gratefully and walked up the riverbank, muddy riverbank into the like main clearing of the sanctuary. And yeah, that's how we got there. And you spent the first like, was it two weeks or three weeks amongst civilization? Like you were saying with the elderly lady mm-hmm. and that was your time to do your like touristy things. Like you were basically, I, I did two different volunteer programs. The first three weeks I was in the Andes mountains in the sacred Valley. So just like a few hours in a taxi from Cusco and it was completely gorgeous. And we could talk about the plants there too. I just felt like there's more to talk about in the Amazon. Mm -hmm. There were plenty of bromeliads, orchids, ferns. I didn't see any aeroids growing in the mountains. I think they do. I just wasn't at quite the right elevation because there are like cloud forests in Peru as well. How much does a couple hour taxi ride cost in Peru? That was included in my volunteer fare to the transportation from Cusco to the site. But it depends on where you are. Like if you book it from overseas, if you book, if you try to book everything from overseas, it's extremely expensive. I'm sure there's like a tourism rack up on it. But if you just show up in Cusco and you ask around, you can find much cheaper fares to do pretty much everything. Um, and I kind of figured that out. I'm, I'm glad I didn't try to book too much from the States before Mm -hmm. I left, uh, because I explored plenty through the sacred Valley and I did see a lot of beautiful forests and trees and plants and rivers and everything like that. Um, but the whole time I basically had connection to cell service and I was posting on Instagram. You were messaging us on the day we showed up to water your plants the first time. Yep. That was exciting because from Minnesota when I was planning this trip, I had no idea what it would be like. I, they didn't provide very much specific information right. on their website. So I kind of showed up and I was like, I was ready to say goodbye. Like I said goodbye to my partner, my family, <clears throat> and all my friends. And then I was like, oh, never mind, guys. I'm good. I have Wi-Fi and a hot shower. Um, so... Yeah, you checked in like at the perfect time too. We had gotten here. We had just started doing the plants, and you're like, "Hi guys, how's it going?" Uh, Adam's watching us. Are you yeah, watching the ring us? cameras went off. Yeah. No, I wasn't watching you, but I maybe I, won't maybe I was. Yeah. Maybe I wasn't. I'm just kidding. So yeah, so I was in civilization for the first three weeks of Peru, and then which I'm glad I did it because it was kind of like a softer landing into a culture that I'd never experienced before. I could still talk to people from so back what home. Was, what was your tasks? When you were there, was it like help this old lady out or like what? So teach, teach children in an elementary school. For it was, hours? it was, no. I, I signed up for an eco agriculture program and, but like, as I was leaving Cusco, one of the volunteer coordinators was like, oh yeah. And would you mind helping out like in the local schools too? Um, and I was like, oh sure. I, I like kids. I can help. Um, but that turned into being like, that was the majority of the work that I was expected to do. Three days a week, I was at an elementary school 
and then Tuesdays and Thursdays I was at a kindergarten and the kindergarten was great. There was, it was just me like teaching the kids a few words in English and helping them with like fun activities basically. And the teacher was always there, like, I don't know, minding all the kids with me. But in the elementary school, it was like, here's Senor Adam. He's here to teach you English. He's from Los Estados Unidos. And none of the kids could really speak English. And then the teacher left and I was like, where did the what teacher up? go? <laughs> you know, I don't know. I've never taught English. I don't really speak. I definitely don't speak enough Spanish to argue with an eight-year-old. Like <laughs> the eight-year-old's going to win that argument every time. So that was interesting. But the, the farm I was staying on was totally beautiful, full of, they had orchards and they were growing all kinds of different crops and they had a greenhouse full of vegetables. And I was able to help in their garden. The grandma that lived there was like really into gardening and had a ton of potted succulents and beautiful plants. And there were hummingbirds. So it was gorgeous. And then on the weekends, I had free time to like explore. So I just hopped in, hopped on the Collectivo little van and just rode it to town and then town hopped around and did different hikes. And Did you stay true to your word and not go to Machu Picchu? I did. I stayed true to my word and I did not go to Machu Picchu. And every time someone told me that I should go to Machu Picchu, I became firmer in my resolve. <laughs> so, yeah. And I, I'm glad that it didn't. Like, I saw some seriously beautiful places and did amazing hikes. And I saw plenty of Incan ruins, but I didn't pay a dime to do it. You know, it's just like, right. I can just hike and walk here for free. Mm -hmm. um, so, that was... A little bit like rewarding in that sense, like oh, I stuck to my stuck to my guns and didn't. That's uh, like people tell me, oh, you'll want kids someday, and every time they tell me that, I'm like, oh no, I won't. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was exactly exactly like that. <laughs> no, yeah, so yep, totally had connection the first three weeks, and then I was ready for the jungle. I was totally ready. I was like, I'm even gonna bring peanut butter this time because I don't want to be completely dependent on like. The food that they're preparing. So how much peanut butter did you bring? I brought two jars of peanut butter and peanut butter was like gold in the jungle. <laughs> it was like, I was like bartering with the peanut butter with the other volunteers. <laughs> and I brought powdered milk and honey and like a trail mix and a bag of Doritos and a pack of Oreos. And I was like rationing those Oreos by the very end. Food was good. I mean, the food was good. It was just like sometimes... You just need some Doritos and some Oreos, you know? That was us in Japan. Like, when we finally found a Domino's, like, we went, like, ravenous. Because we were like, oh, my God, we're going to have Domino's pizza for tonight. It's going to be amazing. Oh, see, I don't I don't get that when I travel at all. Like, I'm like, last case scenario is let's go to McDonald's. Mm -hmm. All other options have been exerted. We went to McDonald's, but obviously, like, McDonald's are different in every country. And... I don't even remember what I got. I think I ordered a hamburger, but it ended up looking like some sort of like pork cutlet. It was fine. It was just, you know, it's not, not what, what you're, used, you're to. Yeah. used to. So how many volunteers were in your group? New. I mean, there are new orientations every Monday. So you had, I had, when I arrived, there were two volunteers already at camp. One of them was an 18 year old named Jonathan. Oh, wow. Is this the first volunteer opportunity? Or this the was the second one. one. The jungle. Let's, let's, fo let's focus on the Amazon, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, for this episode. So three weeks in the Peruvian Amazon. And at the Panthera Sanctuary, there were two volunteers when I arrived with Emily and Jose, which were the two volunteers that I traveled from Cusco with. 
Um, and one of the volunteers already there was Jonathan, who I met in Cusco three weeks previously. He arrived in Peru the same day as me and had the same homestay in Cusco. 18-year-old, never been outside of the United States, spoke a little bit of Spanish, but his first time out of the United States was 10 weeks in the Amazon rainforest. And so he headed straight there when I went into the Sacred Valley. So I already knew someone before I even showed up. So he was there and kind of was able to give me the down low. And then one other volunteer from Belgium was there, Charlotte, and she was totally awesome. And she was the only one that was really from a different country. Emily, Jose, Jonathan, and myself, all from the States. And then after the first week, Mason arrived from Vancouver, which I'm just technically counting as basically the United States. Um, maybe that's not fair, but Canadians going to hate you for that. Yeah. But I mean, you know, English generals, cultural, culturally very similar. So I was happy Charlotte was there because it was like, Oh, I can like meet someone from Europe. French or she spoke French and she was living in actually Quebec at, she'd been living in Quebec for a year, but this is immaterial. Yeah. She taught me a song in French and we were like singing. What's up? It's like Avantois or something like that. I don't, I don't know. know that one. Yeah. Back I can on sh- track. Back on track. <laughs> yeah, you guys. What, what, are we, what are we talking about here? It's a podcast. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, immediately upon arriving, it was like, I was exhausted. So I kind of like, it's all a blur when mm-hmm. I arrived. But it was immediately like, oh, this is beautiful. And this is like dense jungle. We, they showed us into the main clearing, which had like a four screen sort of four wall screen porch uh, with a thatched roof and that housed the kitchen and the common area. And then from there, it was like a two minute walk along kind of a muddy path through the jungle to get to the dorms where the showers are and the like bathrooms and yeah. So what was the sleeping dorm situation like? Just one big room with beds? Basically like a big open screen Four wall screen porch, kind of same thing. You need screens because of the mosquitoes, obviously. How were the mosquitoes? We could talk about mosquitoes. Like the mosquitoes were hardcore, but I was like, I was prepared. The Did stuff- you spray your clothes beforehand? Mm-hmm. I sprayed my clothes with permethrin, but I'm not sure how much that helped because I spent three weeks in the Andes like hiking and I washed my clothes a fair amount. Um, yeah, the permethrin is like, bonds to the fibers in the cloth but only lasts for a couple washes yeah so i think it might have been wearing off but the ultrathon mosquito repelling lotion that was the real deal like i remember like one of the first days we were standing on the trail and like jonathan was standing next to me like swatting mosquitoes like a crazy person and and then i was like oh they're not too bad he's like wait why aren't they affecting you and i was like i have Special powers. No, I'm just kidding. I, I was I was very pleased with the Ultrathon. It, it worked. It's DEET. It's na- I don't even know if it's DEET. It's just nasty chemicals, but it's also like, in my opinion, and this is up to, you know, whoever wants to make this decision, but better than malaria, better than yellow fever. Like, I'm okay with so it for a few So not something you would recommend us in Minnesota put on for the summer mosquitoes? No. Probably not. Not something I would recommend wearing long term, but it was 100% worth it in the Amazon. And I would like I would like put a little bit of it on my hands and then add some water to like make it easier to spread because it was pretty thick like lotion um, and then spread it all over my 
face and ears and neck and my wrists, which were the only parts that were exposed, not clothed. And then I would go outside and take this can of off or like cutters and just like bend over and like, like basically create a cloud and like start spinning through it. It was fun. The mosquito, the mosquitoes were, yeah, it's hard to describe. Did you have to wear long sleeves and pants and socks over your pants every day? You didn't have to, but you should. That's what I did. I, I wore long sleeves and long pants every day. The amount of research I put in was actually before I left was pretty commendable. I have to, I have to like pat myself on the back for like bringing super breathable, super fast drying clothing, the right kind of repellent. The the solar panel charge pack was amazing because they only had one outlet. And we were supposed to share that. And I use the solar panel to like charge my phone every night to charge my flashlight. Don't go to the jungle without an electric light. You'll be terrified and probably die of a heart attack. Um, and then they died. <laughs> <laughs> no. So, yeah. So those sorts of things really made a difference. The peanut butter, the little things, they helped a lot just for comfort and just like preparedness. Peanut butter. Bug repellent, quick dry clothes, <laughs> exactly. solar powered charger. Yeah, solar yeah. powered charger. That was a big one. Yeah. So, at what moment, or did you have a moment? Like, when did it hit? Like, when did you either like wake up one morning? And you're like, oh my god, I'm here. Was or, it like the first morning, or was it when you were deep in the jungle, no longer able to really call anyone? Or, I think there was a moment that stands out in my mind. It was like the first time they took us walking into the deeper into the jungle. And we passed out of the secondary forest, which is like new, like younger trees, mm -hmm. kind of just a younger forest into the primary forest. So forest that has trees is like hundreds of years old. And that was the first time I looked up and I, before he even said the type of forest was changed, I like, I could tell because there were epiphytes, there were aeroids everywhere. And I, I just was like, Aldo, like, that plant, I grow that plant, you know, like I have those philodendrons growing in my house and there were, and that to me was like, Oh, I'm here. Like I'm seeing, this is why I came to see like the plants that I grow, the type of plants that I grow, but just growing in the wild. Mm -hmm. Talk about some of those specifically. I, yeah. That's why I was looking through my photos <laughs> here on my laptop to like, was Aldo like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear this all the time from plant people or was he like oh wow you actually have that in your house or i got the sense that like because the program wasn't specifically marketed as like a plant like you're working with threatened species of gotcha. plants maybe it was the first time because when i showed them photos they seemed to be like oh wow i've never seen anything like a plant with that much pink or like the variegation like the mutated plants that have variegation mm -hmm. um those seem to be interesting to them because they have a lot of green plants there, but they haven't seen like they had philodendron pedatums growing in the trees. And I was like, but look at this one. It has yellow and on every leaf, you know, and they were like, they were like psyched to see. Sorcerer. That. Exactly. <laughs> and it's not um, so no, the, there were plenty of philodendrons. There were plenty of monstera. The dubias were everywhere. Oh, wow. So and that was something that was interesting to me. I had no idea what to ex I knew there would be aeroids, but I didn't know which, which ones. One? Yeah. But do yeah, the, the monstera dubia were everywhere. And I was like, oh, I guess that's just one. How big? 
they would shingle, you know, they shingle up the side of the tree. And then at a certain point they would just like transform into the ones, the leaves with fenestrations. Oh yeah. So it would like, you'd see it go up like six, eight feet. And then like the leaves jump off the trunk and become like fenestrated monstera leaves. Mm -hmm. And they look almost indistinguishable from like a tetrasperma at that point. Which is kind of confusing. Like, the mature dubia leaves look really like a Rifidophora tetrasperma. Did they stop growing up off the tree at that point? No, they continue to use the tree for support, but the leaves don't shingle off. Sorry, yeah, it's just like no longer attached. Right, the leaves are no longer attached to the tree, but the vine is still using it. Oh, so like they stop shingling. They stop shingling, but it's climbing. Exactly. Weird. Yeah, and they lose their silver. And they lose the silver, and it's just a regular green. It looks exactly, like well, very similar to it. Tetrasperma. Wow. Yeah, which, that was interesting. I was like, okay, I didn't expect to see this many dubias. I saw tons of campos, phyllo campos. The mature? Mm-hmm. The well, angry, both. Angry butt plugs? And t- thanks for that. <laughs> That's what they look like to me. <laughs> yes. Very angry, pointy butt plugs. Mm-hmm. Tons of those. Uh... And indistinguishable as from juvenile, like I first, I thought I was seeing micans everywhere, but then I was like looking more closely and they have green backs where the micans mm-hmm. have like a red, rusty red purple. color. Mm-hmm. So I was like, ah, just like micans imposters. What were everywhere. they? They were campos. I'm almost sure they were campos portoanum. Hmm. Yeah. So tons of the, like, those were the ones that I saw the most of. And then actually there's one here that I don't, I have to ask people what it is because they were everywhere and they looked maybe like a, I don't know, like a serpents. They had like the ruffly petioles. Um, I can show you. I'm going to show Christine. It was that. So it has like a pillowy green leaf kind of arrowhead shaped. Yeah. Um, it's not a tenui, is it? It could be. Does that have the wavy petioles? petioles? Like a plumonii? Oh, I don't know. Yeah. I've only seen the picture of the front of the leaf. So, and I took, I have a better photo here somewhere that I can show you guys. But yeah, it was, it was, that one was everywhere too. So yeah, maybe a tenui. It looked kind of like they're an SDI a little bit actually. Mm. Now people are going to ask, did you bring any plants home? I didn't. I didn't. Good on you. Yep. No stealing from the forest. I saw a variegated, some kind of variegated maranta. Like a, what do you call it? What do you call the type of var- do you know, do you guys know the names of the different types of variegation? Like the type of variegation on a Thai constellation is is different than the type of variegation on like an elbow. Do you have you heard? Besides it's like yellow and white. No, it's like chame- chameleon variegation. I think I'm making that up, but it's the kind of it's not like a it's not like a coleus that's just consistently variegated in the same way on every single leaf. It's like a new pattern of variegation that emerge is each leaf and it's not stable, ah. which is a lot of the rare plants that we grow or collect right. here in Minnesota. And that was on a Maranta. And I saw um, that type of variegation on a, I think Maranta, it was some type of prayer plant. And that one was tempting. <laughs> um, and my friends were like, why are you so interested in this plant? And I was like, it's variegated. Like none of the other ones are. Um, but no, I brought none home. I thought it would be, you know, it kind of goes back to the fact that you can get any plant. The plant markets are great. 
they're so developed now just over the last few years. I wasn't even tempted really to bring anything because it's like, yeah, I could grab like a giant pedotum leaf, but I can easily find a philodendron pedotum here. So, and for some people have the fun is being able to say you got to, got it to that point by yourself. Right. Exactly. Like I got the plant to climb and mature on my own here in my conditions. Right. Um, yeah, I didn't bring anything. I didn't Good. bring anything home. Good. Those birds are loud. Sorry. I feel very strongly about yeah. stealing plants from the wild. Yeah. Don't do it. I mean, it was, it, it, I was, I'm also in a different place mentally than where I was like back in 2018 or 2019 when I would like go on a trip and like, I'm bringing plants. Like I had to bring something home. Yeah. Like I have to put something in a backpack and like bring it home. Um, which I was also just less, much less knowledgeable at that point. And everything seemed novel. All these plants that I was seeing were like, oh, wow, that's crazy. Uh, I'm never going to see that again. But yeah. Well, and then half of you is like, where the hell am I going to put this when I bring it home? <laughs> My space is already limited. Where the hell am I going to put a yeah. two foot tall dubia leaf? <laughs> yeah. I had a machine scan my backpack in Costa Rica and find an apple I forgot I hadn't eaten. Mm. And so I would be scared to death to try and smuggle any plants in because they will find it. Mm. They will find it. Yeah, hopefully they do. And I think I, th I feel like also my mindset has changed just to the point where I'm going here for conservation purposes. Yeah, why bring something home? Yeah, I'm not going to... Exactly. I mean, there were a few times w where one of the jobs that you have to do is like walk around with a machete. Like we would take the machetes and just walk down the paths and just like cut things that were trying to grow. Because the jungle, it's alive. Like that's something... It's just moving so fast. It's moving faster than forests here move. Like things are growing at really rapid paces and things are breaking down. Like you could almost hear, like you could feel things decomposing all around you. And there are like termites just breaking down massive trees and leafcutter ants like taking down trees. And so I feel like we had to go out to the trails and trim them like once every few weeks otherwise the trails will just vanish right and there were even cases where like i cut down we were cutting down these like heliconia a lot they were like they kind of look like palms where if you cut it like a banana tree it sprouts from the center rather than like produce um like uh suckers like mm -hmm. you like uh, other types of trees would but it would i like we i cut that yesterday and it's like four inches tall already today hmm. like it's growing back from the center but there were a few times where we like i like cut through some philodendron material or syngoniums there were lots of um just syngonium podophyllums just green syngoniums oh, okay. and they were fully matured like the tri tri leaf look um but i would i just kept the cuttings and put them in my backpack and then i brought them into the like main um, common area and I just put them in a little glass of water because I was like you guys there's no plants inside of the common area <laughs> you, you brought house we need to decorate the, we're, we're surrounded by jungle so yet we need more plants I left and some of the coolest plants I saw I saw some those wild form brantianums philodendron brantianums those were beautiful the first time I saw a silver philodendron I, I probably screamed like a girl <laughs> <laughs> you know I was like Can you oh reenact that? yeah um, 
and I was like, everybody stop, like, wait for me. I need to take pictures. <laughs> there was, it was a lot of me just getting left behind while the rest of the troop was like marching down the trail. <laughs> like all of a sudden the jungle reaches out like the homer simpson meme pulls you in exactly yeah um so like yeah the and then the first time i saw real micans i got really excited oh, too yeah. i was like <gasps> i knew immediately i was like that's not a campo because i saw it, like the mature leaves um and then i checked it and like i took a video of like showing the back of the leaf to like prove that i saw true micans <laughs> um yeah but i didn't see any other velvety philodendrons. I didn't see any velvety anthuriums. I think the elevation makes a difference. They had a book. They had some books there on plants, and it was describing the different types of plants that live at different altitudes. And I think like things like the varicosum and the melanochrysum and and those ones, they're they just grow at a higher elevation. I saw some really cool. Uh, like green anthuriums, bird's nest anthuriums, um, and then like a palmate leafed anthurium, mm. uh, that would just get these massive leaves as well. So, yeah. But I mean, that just scrapes the surface. There's so many. There's so many plants in the in the rainforest that I was shocked to see. Look at this one. This is an anthurium. Very nice. Yeah. Oh, I just bumped the microphone. Stop it. Mm. Yeah. Kind of looks like a Goldie eye. Yes, like a thermophilum. But saw a Diffenbachia reflector. Uh, I saw crazy insects too. We would just go out at night and catch. They would. We would go out walking the trails at night and just try to catch frogs and snakes and lizards. And we would bring them back to the back to camp. And then the next morning we would pull them out and like weigh them and identify, try to identify the species and take photos and then walk back out and release them at the exact GPS point where we caught them. Nice. So just basically data collection right. stuff. Um, and that was mostly your task out there was what's the word? Just kind of like what's here. What's were you, were you actively like either searching for stuff that had been, maybe been missing for a while or like tagging things. Um, we, we weren't tagging things. We, we were monitoring the, the frogs and the snakes and the reptiles a lot. Uh, we were also monitoring, um, for larger mammals. So we saw the first night I was there, I saw a leopard oh on the gosh. trail within like 50 feet of me, which apparently is really, really rare. It was just me and Charlotte, the, the, the lady from Belgium. Mm -hmm. uh, and we saw, yeah, like a leopard. She just stopped right in front of me and I almost walked into her and I looked ahead and I could just see the back end of like a spotted cat. <laughs> and it just jumped into the trees. Um, Were they vocal at night that ever like freak you out or? Uh, the cats? Yes. No. Or not anything the cats. Large. There were like, yeah, there were howler monkeys okay. and they. It, it's a howl isn't even the right word. They like death metal scream growl. <laughs> uh, Can you give us an example? Around three. It's kind of like. But it's like. Um, that's going to sound really scary. In the, in the metal biz, they call that fire. Yeah. So they were just. 
yeah, so th- those were crazy. But we also would go out and and collect. Um, <laughs> I'm seeing you guys looking at each other. What? Um, I think he thinks I'm lying. Uh, yeah, it was fire. It was straight yeah, fire. That was fire. Yeah, it was like 4 a.m. and like really creepy sounding um, monkeys. But they're pretty much harmless. So actually, I, I once you know that it's like not something that's gonna like suck your blood while you're sleeping. <laughs> you're like, that's okay. the least of your worries. Yeah. Lift you off into the trees and you've never seen them. We're exactly. I, I think honestly, the snakes were the most dangerous of thing that could, the, the, they presented the greatest threat. Nah, the but, danger noodles. Uh, what now? The, the nope danger ropes. noodles. Nope ropes. Nope ropes. Those are snakes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Haven't you heard that? No. So Did you said, go on the internet? As someone who's not really into the, not creepy crawlies, but like snakes freak me out. Mm-hmm. I don't really want to pick up frogs. Were they at least clear about that when you were doing your research? So you knew you were going to be going and expected to handle this stuff? Okay. Yeah. They were, they said like, you'll be doing different th- activities almost every day and including insect pop, uh, monitoring, mammal monitoring, uh, reptile monitoring and rehabilitation for animals, bird monitoring and planting seeds, uh, um, like reforestation, planting trees, uh, planting orchids, all of that. So they said we'd be doing all the different things and just depending on what time, type of year. Mm-hmm. So I was, that's, and that's what I wanted. Mm-hmm. I really wanted to go into a program where I'd be able to not just plants. I wanted to see all the different types of life and like experience what it's like living there. And I think I'm glad I did that. Right. Um, but there was still plenty of work with plants that we did. We would go out and like search underneath of the Shiwawako trees to find like, uh, intact seeds, uh, which was tricky because the animals love eating them. So you'd find like a, you'd, you'd spot one and then you'd be like, yes. And you'd pick it up and it would be like, have a hole drilled through it. And the seed was gone from the inside of the nut. Like, damn it. And throw it back down. I hate it when that happens. Yeah. (laughs) Happens all the time. Happens to the best of us. But and then we'd bring the seeds back to camp and they had like a little shade area, shaded nursery, basically, where they had like hundreds of these little trees, different types of palm, different types of threatened species where they they'd just saplings mm-hmm. uh, growing in the shade in little plastic bags of dirt. Um, and then we also had would occasionally go out and plant them in random places. So that was really cool. Um we would also like rescue orchids that had fallen out of trees. So like if we would spot orchids, we would just stop, pick them up, put them in the bag and then bring them back. And they had just like a whole section in their agroforest where it was just like orchids that they had mounted on trees and that were just like blooming and growing. Nice. And they also had an entire section of agroforest, which was like just fruit trees basically and coffee and cacao just growing in amongst the forest and we would harvest like giant clumps of bananas and then we would carry them out and like hoist them into trees for the monkeys to help supply extra food nice what did the fresh bananas taste like basically just like bananas oh they didn't taste any different (laughs) i i didn't really taste the difference Mm. are you a green banana person or a brown banana person why do I have to be a green or a brown? Like how, how much Can't I just be a yellow banana person? <laughs> I mean, that's right in the middle, but usually you're eating it on either end of the spectrum. So I was just curious where you mm, fall since I we're did, on the topic. I, I take 
my stance on bananas is very much the same as my stance on life in general. I like to kind of just ba- have a good balance of green and brown. <laughs> See, I'm straight brown. I was going to say, I'm like two days before banana bread. Like, oh, wow, that's a little like further that's... than me. I will not eat a green banana. They're disgusting. Oh, yeah, no. I can't stand it. My old boss is a green banana person, and we fight about this all the time. I would say that's a valid reason to fight with someone. Yeah. Yeah. Physically. We'll send each other pictures of bananas just to gross each other out. One time um, I sent a picture of a raffidophora tetrasperma leaf that was dying, and it was, like, yellow and brown. And I was like, this is how I like my, my bananas. bananas. And he's like, gross. <laughs> Ew. Uh, yeah, I guess I didn't really think about that when I was, like, in the jungle. Did the bananas look different? They had bananas and plantains, and I'm just, I'm not convinced those are two different things. They, they called are. them different things. They're different. But... I ate them indiscriminately. They were both sources of calories. Smaller and sweeter, right? I don't know. I don't eat plantains. Um, They would fry them and like, it was a lot of plantains. Like Mm -hmm. it was a lot of like plantains in all the different dishes that the cook would prepare. There was a chef, a Venezuelan chef that lived Uh, full time at the camp as well. His name was Jaime. Um, Were you, was it more vegetarian diet? Yeah. Just because of resources? Yeah, they didn't have refrigeration, yeah. really. So it was like we would have meat once a week when Aldo and Cristobal would go into town and get supplies. And then other than that, it was like occasional bits of like hot, heavily preserved sausage that would, they would mix in with eggs and gotcha. tacos and stuff. But mostly like, yeah, mostly sources of like protein from eggs and beans and things they had, like, like that. They had like their own chickens there? They had roosters but all the chickens had been eaten by eagles before i got there how convenient yeah and one of the roosters was really mean he would like try to jump and attack attack anybody who got too close um well all those ladies were gone so understandable true true yeah it was like there's always something trying to get you (laughs) in (laughs) in the rainforest really it's like just walking along the path and then he aldo would be like a scorpion and i'd be like where where? Scorpion. Where's the scorpion? I don't want to step on it. So going back to things to bring to the Amazon is black light on there so you can find your scorpions at nighttime? Maybe it, sh- it should be. There, yeah. th- it was like a tiny ass scorpion and there's no way I would have seen it. And I'd, I had just been like scooping up leaves and like putting them in the container with the frogs that we were catching. Because if you catch a, ground, a frog on the ground, you're supposed to put ground leaves in it. And if you catch a frog... On a tree, you're supposed to put tree leaves in it. But right before we saw the scorpion in the leaves, I had just been like scooping them up with my bare hands and like stuffing them into Mm -hmm. the container with the frogs. And I was like, I, I'm not going to do that anymore. (laughs) Is the the black light trick to find scorpions? That's a thing. Some scorpions. I don't think it's a, this does it for all scorpions, but some scorpions, especially out in like the desert in the U S and the Western. Mm. Um, yeah, they use a lot of black lights to find scorpions in their houses. There were scorpions there. all over Peru. There were scorpions in the mountains too, and that was the first time I had ever seen scorpion. Yeah, I was pretty freaked oh, out. Yeah, there were also we caught a vampire bat in one of our bird nets one day, and those things are creepy. Do you know what vampire bats are? Yeah, yeah they, they've the, got vampires bat form. Uh, yes. <laughs> Just kidding. Christine's got the real answer. Yeah, don't they have the... they Specifically, they have, like, the big, larger ears that are more... 
right? I'm trying to they're like super so, pointy ear. They're they're scarier looking than just your okay, typical bat. Okay. So uh, let me give you the download. A vampire bat is a bat that can hear your heartbeat and right. will wait until you're in deep enough sleep so that it can suck blood out of the tips of your fingers, tips of your toes, and the top of your head without actually waking you up. That's weird. And then it will leave. <laughs> yeah, it has anticoagulants in its saliva, so your blood just he just pokes a tiny hole and it just starts drinking your blood. Nice. Yeah. So that's the thing. That's why you need window panes. You need screens. Like, yeah. So we caught one of those things, and I took photos of it, like, close up. Yeah. You know what you should have done? You should have taken a bite out of the tip of its fingers and toes (laughs) and the top of its head and sucked its blood. So so it learns, like, don't do that. Yeah, see how he likes it. (laughs) Yeah, so they were... it, It was almost like... Yes, there were thousands of beautiful plants in the jungle and trees and everything, but I'm just, it was, pict- I'm just picturing it now. It was like it could you couldn't go without the all the dangerous stuff. Like you had right. to go through all the super creepy, dangerous, threatening things to like see. Well, such is life. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I mean, right? Like life isn't all daisies and sunshine oh my god i'm not gonna get philosophical but like that's that's what it was like it's like okay so these ants are insane right like they harvest leaves from trees and then they bring them the leafcutter ants they like cut leaves they can take down like an entire tree in like 48 hours or something like that did you see that where there was like a line of like leaves just like crawling down yeah yeah, oh my god that'd be so cool it was so cool but they can like totally kill uh, trees and they bring the leaves into their underground abode and they use them to like feed fungus and the fungus grows on the decaying leaf material underground and then they harvest the fungus and they feed it to their queen weird yeah weird science so we got like ant farmers down there but the the trees they all produce a type of chemical Uh that uh that basically would kill the fungus if it's in high enough quantities so most of the trees that the leafcutter ants target are capable of producing a chemical that would stop the leafcutter ants from targeting them, hmm. but they don't normally produce it in high enough quantities to, like, deter the ants. So the last thing the tree does before it dies is, like, send chemical signals in the soil to the surrounding trees to tell them to start producing higher quantities of this chemical so that the leafcutter ants can't kill any of its neighbors. Wow. That's deep. Yeah, I thought so. I, I mean, yeah, that's... Wow. Yeah. Do you guys have any more questions for me? Yeah. Uh, my very important question, I told you earlier that I had the most important question to ask. I didn't ask it first, but... Um, so while you were gone, Kayla and I were here taking care of your plants for six weeks. And about around week four, week five, poor Lency was starting to really miss you. So I just want to know how happy was she when you got home? <laughs> it is an important question. Oh man, she she was thrilled. Uh, Gary actually came to pick me up from the airport with Lindsay in the car, and I think she was like stunned to see me. Like she didn't move at first when I was walking up to the car. Who's this? Like she couldn't she couldn't believe her eyes. Like I would I had returned. To quick clarify, Lindsay is Adam's roommate's dog. Yes, and she's very total sweetheart. Yes, very sweet. She is so sweet. Yeah. So no, she was thrilled, and I think she's. I mean, I I help with her so much that 
she like I'll walk her occasionally and I'm I'm sometimes here at the plate at the house when my roommate's not here. Right. So it kind of makes a huge difference in a dog's life, I think, mm-hmm. to have an extra extra human friend around. But Yeah, Gary was saying, like, because you're usually around in the mornings with her mm-hmm. after he's gone to work, and that's the couple times we came in the morning, she was always so much more happy because it made her here. day a little more normal, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's just, there's no way I would have been able to do this trip without you guys. I wouldn't have been able to go. I couldn't do it. I, there, I didn't want to sell all my plans. Like, that would suck. Adam was like, all right. You guys are watching my plants, and I'm going to let you know which ones you can't kill. And I was like, Adam, we're not going to kill any of your plants. And he was like, I'm still going to tell you, you can't kill my green Congo or this other philodendron or this big, what Pearls is it, pothos. Yeah, your pothos. It's giant. It's the size of a small child. It's the size um, of a child. That would be a giant child. Yeah, it's like the size of a preteen. It's I like, meant the leaves. Oh, okay. The leaves themselves <laughs> yeah. are the size of it's a like, small child. It's like four and a half feet tall. Yeah, so. so a bunch of them stacked end to end. <laughs> it's the size of a bunch of small children stacked. <laughs> it's a big Approximately 4.5 plant like, children. The plant, I think my favorite plants like moved, switched around a little bit while I was gone, while you guys were taking care of them. So you have new favorite plants? I don't think the giant pothos is my favorite anymore. Isn't, <gasps> isn't that I'll weird? take it home, okay. I'm not giving it I mean, away. you hate it now, so. I would never hate it. <laughs> so Adam, how many plants did we kill while we were... Watching killed negative two plants. <laughs> what does that mean? I think I have. Didn't you say I have more plants? Yeah. For we in, made you two. Right. For anyone who's listening, <laughs> Kaylin and Christine had propagated plants while I was gone on my trip, and I came back to actually more plants than I left with. And then today, Adam was like, "Yeah, that beefsteak begonia you left me in my upstairs tent." I'm like, "I didn't leave you a beefsteak begonia. That is your we made you one secondary beefsteak begonia." Well, the original one was from you in the first place. Yeah, it and was then a, I, yeah. And I brought it home, and I was caring for it for like a while, and it was looking really great. And then you were like, "I hate mine," or did you give me the only one you had? So I was propping it, and mine had made a baby. But I cut the big leaf off, and then you took the leaf home, propagated mm. that, and made a plant. There we go. And then mine, something happened, it died. But also, I wasn't really into it, so I was like, whatever, <laughs> this is fine. Adam grows his into a plant, it uh-huh. looks nice, and he's like, oh, I can give you cuttings anytime. I'm like, no, thank you. <laughs> yeah, so, but the moral of the story is, like, I just, I wouldn't have even been able to pull any of this off. I, I don't know anybody else I don't know. Nobody else that we know would probably want to do this or I mean, would I trust You could probably have gotten a couple people to come once or twice, Maybe. but to commit to six weeks. But, but yeah, it was like, it was really helpful for me knowing that you guys were here. And flushing your Lekka plants. And flushing my stupid Lekka plants. Oh, actually, more frustrating than flushing the Lekka plants was those stupid Hoya props in the window. For you too, Christine? Or was it? Well, I, I wasn't in charge of the soil. Christine plant, was so in was charge fine. of Lekka. Oh. I was in charge of soil. But those stupid oils dry out every week. Right. All the plants in terracotta. All, all of my terracotta oh, plants. But Adam grows begonias in terracotta. Everybody. Ugh. Yes. And I will continue to grow Don't begonias tell me in Don't terracotta. Don't Take that back. Terracotta. Take that back. Well, all you have to do is look at my begonias. And you'll know that it can sometimes work to grow begonias and terracotta. It's magic. I don't know how he does it. I wouldn't do it. I don't recommend it. So what's next for you? For me? Do you want to go to the Amazon again? Or has this like inspired you to 
do something with Great Barrier Reef or anything like that. Check out another rainforest. Mm. Or maybe a desert. Yeah, and I think, well, I should start by saying doing this has made me think that I can, I could go to a rainforest in Asia or Africa and I would feel more comfortable. Mm -hmm. Like I would feel comfortable planning a trip like that. I would feel like I have something to work from, like a baseline of what to expect when I get there. What's dangerous? What do I need to pay attention to? What do I need to bring? Um, And because of that, I'm inspired to travel to other rainforests in the future. But I think immediately in my immediate future is less clear. I, right. I feel like I want to stop selling my plants. I want to just grow them for fun. What? And I want to find maybe an, another job that would be just growing plants or just maybe conserving in some way plants or the environment. That was one reason I, another reason I chose this trip is like, I love plants. I love talking about them, learning about them, growing them, but I don't really love selling things or like marketing. That's just not me, like who I am as a person. So that kind of is, is next for me. I think using this trip as maybe like a, like a springboard to jump into something for me more meaningful than just selling plants. I have two things. One. I could be your plant seller and just give me a little commission <laughs> off the sale of each plant. Uh, two, I was going to ask, how did you how did you fund this trip of yours? Tell us about that. Yes, this trip was funded almost entirely by plants that I sold. <laughs> Brought to you by House Plants. Yes, it it really was. It was like the local Facebook community where I sell most of my house plants. They're who paid for the majority of this conservation trip. So. That was it. It felt like a really good kind of bookend to something, a part of my life too. Like it was like I have been selling plants and I've been having a lot of fun. I've been making you've been hustling, friend. I've been hustling. I've been making friends in the community, and this and that kind of paid for this adventure where I got to go into the Amazon and actually see these plants that I've been working with and falling in love with for the last three years do you mind sharing like a ballpark if someone's listening is like i want i want to try and look into this like mm-hmm. how much should they think of having yeah on them For, not in that like to fund the sure. trip and also just like spending money right right i think it depends on how early you buy tickets it depends on how long you stay of course uh the the volunteering program was definitely an affordable way to see and really experience what it's like to live in a place and kind of immerse yourself in a Mm -hmm. local community. Um, And also it covers like three meals a day and lodging and everything's included in transportation. So if you wanted to, like, I think the baseline fee for six weeks in the Amazon, in Peru, three weeks in the sacred Valley, three weeks in the Amazon rainforest was like $1,700. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's way more affordable than I was thinking. Yeah. And see, there's Kaylin on the other side who likes to couch surf. So I'm like, that's too much, Bob. For six weeks? Right. But like when you're couch surfing, you're still probably buying your own food. Right. Yeah. But not 1700. It's just, just, that's just my travel perspective. Right. Right. I think couch surfing is also a wonderful option to anybody who's listening. I think there's, and, and I also wanted to 
just avoid like staying in a resort because right. I, I will say while I was in Peru, I visited a few resorts. Just I went to a resort in the Sacred Valley and I just asked if I could walk walk around and take a look. And it is it's so extravagant and so expensive. And also I got the sense that the people staying there, a lot of them probably just never leave. Never left. Yep. It's an all inclusive. So kind of it thing. it yeah. felt liberating to like go there and then just leave and move on. Right. So yeah, it was around seventeen hundred for the volunteer programs, which include, you know, transportation, training, all the all the programming and also three meals a day and lodging. So I mean out of that you were responsible for your flight? Yes. Okay. So I uh, the flight was the probably the main expense right. apart from that. Right. Um and it depends on when you book, but flights from here to Cusco are, are between like 600 what what was the cheapest one that you found Kaylin? flight uh, to 500? peru 5483 or something like that yeah round trip to cusco and like they go all the way up to like 3 3 over 3 right. grand right. i'm so, going to throw in a little plug here if you guys are looking for cheap flights have open availability go in the shoulder season and use a subscription service like thrifty traveler premium or scott's cheap flights they will send you flight deals to your inbox and you can score sweet deals for super cheap, uh, like $401 to Rome, $397 to <laughs> Copenhagen, $317 to Zurich. And then the cheapest one I ever booked was $290, it was like $275 to Paris. Whoa. Round trip. Round trip. Yeah. So you can save a butt ton of money by... Signing up for those, getting the flight alerts, and then having open availability, open availability to book whenever the deals come up. <laughs> exactly. And yeah, so it's really, it was a good way to travel. I think you could totally have, I could have found flights that were cheaper if I had been more proactive in like actually booking my dates and getting that program figured out earlier than just like a month or two in advance. Well, and I kept asking you, Adam, did you get your flight booked? <laughs> no. Procrastinating. Adam, have you booked your flight yet? No, yeah. Adam, you're scaring me. It's a month before your thing. Have you booked your flight yet? You're going to walk to Peru, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> but I made it. I made it there. And I think I I, I ended up paying like just around 1100 I think, for round-trip flights. Okay. So it was kind of closer to like the mid, lower mid-range of what I saw appearing as options. But, yeah, it was it was the way to go. I would totally do a volunteer a broad experience again. It's just a good way to experience a new place. Yeah. Would you would you do it again? Was that fun? Rated out of ten stars? Five stars? Shit. Ten wait. Per, oh god, I'm sorry. <laughs> what are you saying right now? <laughs> <laughs> the words are getting stuck. Uh, I was gonna say rate rate your trip. Rate my trip? Yeah, out of it's 10. like ten not ten, 10 stars. stars? It's, it's, Wait. No, no, no. See, that's where I got confused. It's five <laughs> stars or rate it out of ten. Yeah, ten. Or you can give it a percentage like we're in school. Mm. I mean I think there were there were parts, especially of the original of the initial program I did in the Sacred Valley that could have easily been improved. Like teaching with the children. teaching and all of that. Adam's like, I'm S teaching kids again. So but right. but overall it was like totally amazing because I was able to just basically explore a huge portion of the country of Peru. So and 10 out of 10? Yeah. Without, 9 out of 10? Without like spending my life savings yeah. or losing a single 
houseplant that I love. Like it was just pfft, 10 out of 10. Okay. Number, number one moment from the trip. Oh man. Absolute like top. Coming home and seeing all of this growth that we made. Right. To- like that, like seeing my begonia brevermosa <laughs> on the other end. Adam being like, <laughs> all the plant updates. <laughs> the best, my favorite day was like a hike that I took from, it was in the sacred valley. Ah, oh, that's hard to say. Cause I feel like I could pick a favorite time from each the, the valley and then like a favorite okay, time do that. from the jungle. Do that. I'll make it easier on you. But yeah, I did a hike from Chinchero to Urquilios and it was basically just, I, I took a bus to Chinchero, which is way up high in the mountains. And then I walked down through a valley to the neighboring town. And it was like just a walk, like the quietest, like most serene walk among the most beautiful forest, like past a waterfall. It was just amazing. And I hardly saw another human the whole time. And I saw tons of beautiful plants. Um, and it felt, I felt really independent. Like it was the first time I was like out on my own in the sacred Valley. I felt like I had conquered the like transportation system and I was paying virtually nothing to do this amazing hike. Uh, so that, that was a big one, a big day for me. And then in the rainforest, my favorite moment what about that big tree? That Shiwawako. Oh, that was a ficus tree, actually. Oh, wow. Yeah, I think seeing... Or the leopard? Wow, I can't... I can't... Picking like, those syngonium cuttings <laughs> and putting them in a glass of water. <laughs> there were so many good parts. Like, the jungle was just, like, a highlight, high point in my life. And I think just realize... Like, the moment that I realized... Because Charlotte was panicking at the end of the trip, being like... I wanted to come here and figure everything out, like figure myself out. And like, now I'm leaving. Cause she left a week before me and she was like, now I'm leaving. And I feel like I haven't, I don't know what I've gained from this trip. And I was like, well, at this, now that you've been here, like you've experienced the rainforest, like it's always going to be a part of who you are in the future. And no one can really take that away from you. So like having the rainforest and the Amazon and Peru just kind of be a part of my story realizing like oh that's something that now that's going to kind of determine the course of my future and that's that's something i can keep with me that was probably the best moment very nice yeah so charlotte's need to find something within herself turned into adam finding something within himself instead yeah it was like inspiration i got myself thinking and i was like just trying to reassure her but i what came out of my mouth was like oh that's like that's how i really feel yeah Mm -hmm. so well, thank you, Adam. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing your trip with us. Thanks for letting us watch your plants. <laughs> Thanks for watching. Like there were our plants for yeah. six weeks. Let's be honest. I feel like they'll always like in the way that the jungle is always going to be part of my short. Adam's my plants are kind of always us. your plants from now. And then there's like the handful in terracotta of like the succulents that were just so needy that mm-hmm. I'm just that like. Kaylin just wants to throw into a dumpster and <laughs> let light on fire. No, 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 no. I would throw them in the compost. <laughs> Yeah. Let them feed the other plants. Uh-huh. Should we wrap up here for? Yeah, now? we'll wrap up this one, and then we'll see you all back for the next one. All right. Thank you, Adam. Yeah. Thanks, guys, and thanks to all the listeners out there and listening to Rough Around the Hedges podcast episode one, baby. Wow. It's not episode one. I think it has to be episode one. I thought this was gonna be. Episode Wait, can't two. Wait, why are we? Whispering? Okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs>